attention, please. This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Doctor Doom wears body to conceal his own mangled face. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Yeah. Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and I've got a deep and abiding affection for non-fiction comics. As a matter of fact, I love non-fiction comics so much that every seventh episode, I select an entry in the DC Paradox Press line of big books, and I talk about it. And I call these episodes... The Big Big Book Book Report. Report. But... This isn't something I do all by myself. Nope. Joining me as usual is Two True Freaks co-host and moonshine enthusiast, Mr. Chris Honeywell. Welcome back, sir. How you doing? I am quite well, quite well. You, uh, you all right there? You, you're... Been hit, hitting the Kentucky Lightning. <laughs> well, yeah, and I thought, you know what? Of all episodes I've ever done, this could be a convenient time for, uh... Pete Hesh to make a couple of right. appearances. <laughs> no, I'm I'm a real failure as a drinker. I I have sniffed moonshine. I have never drank moonshine. It smelled like rubbing alcohol, and it burned like rubbing alcohol. So I was not going anywhere. Yeah, I don't blame you. I don't really have a. I, I don't know if I'd go so far as to call myself a teetotaler, but I just I don't. I'm not a big alcohol guy anyway and so yeah i mean and the fact is you know the other thing is i just i don't really handle alcohol very well you know different people have different temperaments i guess you've got the happy drunk the angry drunk and all that stuff well i'm the crying drunk you know (laughs) so um that's it's just it's it's no bueno for me to have you know yeah i'll take angry or happy over crying any day (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I'm a happy drunk, but it's not a very long period of time between happy drunk and sleeping drunk. Oh, because I'm just a, a lightweight, you know. Three beers and I'll and I'll be goofy as hell. Four beers, I'll be drunk. Five beers, I'll be really drunk. Six beers, and I'll be passed out, cold, snoring, and magic marker on my face. Well, see, there you go. I mean, I can only have up to two beers, so you're already you're ahead of me. I'm, I'm, yeah, and it's been so long since I've tested any that of that that you know I really don't know if I could even make it to six beers now that I know Well, you know, it's kind of funny. I went to a um, a friend's twenty first birthday party back when he and I were fucking twenty one, and I brought my girlfriend at the time, you know, with me. And the idea was that you know we'd you know we'd go there, go to Fridays, and just have you know just have a great old time, right? Well, you know that whole liquor before beer right beer before (laughs) liquor rule i didn't exactly pay a whole lot of attention to that 
and so yeah, just makes you sicker. And uh, that's why it's a rule. Yep. So and it's fucking it's true. You know, I, I I thought it was just one of those little, I don't know, little bits of urban folklore just that gets kicked. Things that people say. Yeah. yeah. And no, it's fucking it's true. So anyway, but uh, if, if you're wondering why he and I are talking so much about alcohol, that'll become clear in just a few moments. But dude, I got to tell you, you know, we haven't really recorded one of these in a long time, so. How you been, dude? I mean, like, Demonzacor interns have told me that you recently parted ways with one of your roommates. Uh, what was up with yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, normally I wouldn't talk about that, but it fits right into the this show, actually, because he was quite a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, he got the he got the boot. And um, suffice it to say, it's a, it's. I tell the story, but I'm saving it because for a, a, a episode of Storytellers, I'm going to do a double. Um, double feature storytellers on on crazy roommates and how they were disposed of, um, <laughs> dispensed with, um, and it'll be called uh, the 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 story based on my current the current ex roommate will be called um, how I could have had all the secrets of the universe, or or, or uh, I could have had all the se- secrets of the universe at my fingertips. But all I got was this Kool Aid Man comic. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> one of the th- one of the things that got left behind. But um, yeah, um, wooey. You know this. this I, and I, as just because I'm here, I'm a fan of conspiracy theories and wild tales and stuff. But um, he was one of those guys that just flat out believes it. You know, if you if you see the vi- he see the sees the video on YouTube. It was all of a sudden that that particular conspiracy that the person was peddling would just get fit into his whole, you know, jigsaw puzzle of conspiracy theory. So if it was, you know, whether the fact that nuclear bombs don't work, you know, the 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 interior of the earth is hollow, um, chemtrails at all tied together, you know, that that sort of thing. Very frustrating to talk to. Very amusing to talk to at first, but very frustrating after a while because he was one of those people that was also insistent that you should agree with him. <laughs> and if he didn't, it didn't work out well. So, <laughs> Okay, well, fair enough, fair enough. Can't wait to hear that episode, but I guess for today, what big book are we talking about? We are talking about the big book of vice. Yes, we are published. One that I was really looking forward to because I figured I would be, I would, you know, I got this one. <laughs> you know what? For reasons that I think are going to become apparent in just a few moments, I am very happy to hear that. But uh, for right now, uh, published in 1998 and written by Dave Stern and Steve Vance, the Big Book of Vice examines alcohol, drugs, tobacco, sex, prostitution, and gambling. Subjects range from the history of tobacco to sexual slavery to pinball machines. Now, as to artists, there were a couple of recognizable names in here. First up, you've got Charlie Adler, Sergio Aragones, Dennis Cowan, Colleen Doran, Kieran Dwyer, Marshall Rogers, believe it or not, and Joe Staten. Now, did you recognize any of the artists from the underground world? Oh, Paul, or, um, uh, Geary, yeah, um, is one of the um, um, 
another one that I rec- that was the only one that I recognized right off from the underground, except for one of my favorites, Ivan Brunetti, who did the first one. Ivan Brunetti is one of the most hilarious and just evil cartoonists out there. His he's got he's got mental issues. He's got self hatred issues, but he's funny as hell. <laughs> and his pain his pain is our humor, you know, is our our laughs for us. So he's a hero to me. He doesn't put out many comics at all. He. He had a, one that was a like three or four issue series in the 90s called Schizo that's one of the most horrifyingly dark, humorous comics in, in this sort of cartoon style. So I was very happy to see him. Uh, that was like, I was like, ooh, this is a good sign. Ivan Bernetti right on the outset. But <laughs> as was sort of reflected in the rest, it was really subdued Ivan Bernetti and it was only a page or two. So, my, uh, yeah, Ivan Bernetti is usually not shy about, and maybe it's because this was more of a book for the the shelves of you know Borders or Walden Books or something like that. That it was it was, you know, tamped down a little bit, but uh, yeah, he and Geary were the only ones I really. Uh, Paul Cooperberg is more mainstream, but he was another name I uh, recognized. Hmm. Well, I I just want to ask you that because, again, you know, as we've said in the past, the uh, fact is that I would think that for most artists, given that these stories are usually only two, maybe three, maybe four pages long, this is the kind of thing that a lot of them could knock out in a weekend. And i got to figure it's easy money. So mm-hmm. I don't know. But uh, i got to tell you, man, this is one of the few big books that I've ever read where it – sort of came off like they were just phoning it in you know there's a lot of I agree. general history of shit that's going on here but there aren't as many stories this time around you know i was surprised that they didn't have you know they could have had they could have had a whole section on you know backstage concert stories you know led zeppelin and the red snapper incident and stuff like that and exactly all the you know, Keith Moon and uh, you know all the drummers dying of of alcohol overdoses and stuff like that. You know, it, it, there it was. We were talking about this before the show. It's it was one of those ones where all the stories are based firmly in reality. This is basically all history mm-hmm. for the most part, and they're usually really good at at you know making making them very lively stories. But in this case, they're not like stories of the unusual, like a lot of the stories that we've read in the past that are the ones that are based, you know, firmly on fact. Mm-hmm. They're 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 history, so they had to work a little harder, I guess, to make them more more outrageous or more um, just entertaining. And I and I like you said, I don't really get the sense that they worked that hard to do that. You know, yeah. it wasn't boring. It, um, but at the same time, and maybe it was because I'm familiar with a lot of the story, the, the these stories and this history. A lot of it was sort of like, okay, I I, I know this. I just have to see how they how they present it, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they present it in two pages, so you sort of get the cliff note version of it. Yeah, and like the thing is, 
there's a it's almost like a wikipedia style summary of shit that's going on but there's not a lot of story to it and i guess going into this thing I, i probably would have assumed that of all the bootleggers of the prohibition era just to kind of throw out an example surely there is some unsung smuggler out there who made a fortune shipping you know, booze to different places, and he was outrunning the cops, Dukes of Hazard style, and other other kinds of stuff. But you don't really get a whole lot of that, you know. And yeah, Joe Kennedy. <laughs> yeah, fucking it, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, it's 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 really strange. It's sort of um, is more interested in the origins of the vices and which is which can be interesting because of course all these vices go back there's quite a few stories in here that start out you know at the dawn of human history <laughs> up until modern days you know all the, basically all of them you know right down to the pornography so that's always interesting to see you know there's one in here that's basically the evolution of pornography over the the millennium yeah. <laughs> millenniums <laughs> yeah and uh but that stuff you know i i'm i'm familiar with that you know and there were there were little factoids that that would uh pop in here and there you know uh like one that um uh you could get heroin over the counter but you needed a prescription for aspirin i'd never heard that before oh really oh okay um uh, but Otherwise, it was pretty. It's pretty dry, and, they, and I think they tried to maybe liven. And did you notice at the end they had like, a, they tried a little different thing. Like they had the little trading cards that were a picture on one page, and then the back page was like you know the famous actor or, or you know famous drug users and what their drugs were and oh yeah and all that. That yeah. it, it it was neat, but it was just sort of like they were trying to maybe like spice it up a little bit mm-hmm. and honestly you know that was uh kind of on that same subject there right there's actually this it's not all about comics but kind of there is a section in here that actually deals like i don't know if this is like meta or what but that comic book you know comic books threat or menace thing yeah uh, that actually goodness. yeah and you know number one i mean it's it, you would think it would it, it's almost you know a little self-referential but at the same time, well, to be honest with you, I've always thought that the comic book industry has been a bunch of fucking crybabies about that whole Frederick Wortham thing, you know, for a long time. I mean, you actually read the transcripts of all that stuff. The guy was a kook. Everybody fucking treated him like he was a kook. He was out there for his 15 minutes of fame. And really, the comic book industry, they just wanted to drive a certain somebody out of business. But ever since then, it's like the legacy of this thing has been that the industry was targeted and we were nearly censored and all this shit. And fuck you, dude. No, you weren't. All right. I, don't take your, your, your dramatic bullshit here, dude. All right. It's just, I, I think that, you know, a lot of these whiners and complainers in the comic book industry, number one, we're not around when this stuff actually happened. And number two, you know, you look at what actually happened and the things that went on back in the fifties, like the forties and the fifties, it wasn't that bad, you know? So I didn't mean to go on a fucking rant like that. Well, it was, you know, it was their chance to have their, it was was sort of the comics, a little mini version of the McCarthy era, you know? Mm -hmm. So just instead of chasing reds, they were chasing blood and sex, drugs and rock and roll. Yeah. 
spice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, fair enough. It's just well, it's it's made uh, now copies of Seduction of the Innocent are worth a fortune. So. <laughs> oh wow! Really? <laughs> made it a collectible. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was I I, I was. Thinking one day, I was like, I wonder what a copy of it. And I went out on eBay and was just like, oh, boy, nope. <laughs> wow, I had no idea. Wow, that's that's actually that's actually kind of cool. And you yeah. know what? Why don't if they you put run that into in one the... in a secondhand bookstore? Pick it up. <laughs> yeah, you know, and like, why don't they put that in the, you know, in, in this book? I don't know, but whatever. Anyway, um, I guess I, I guess to get into it, though, the. Like last time, you know, in the last episode, I went first. It was sort of this executive decision I made because I couldn't remember who went first the time before that. Right. So uh, because of that, I do believe it's your it's your turn. So uh, what have you got for us? Okay. Well, my stories, you know, and going with the whole this one was sort of phoning it in. My stories aren't really based as much on I thought they were particularly strongly drawn or written. They were just topics that i that i really liked Mm -hmm. and uh the first one is uh the deuce you know the 42nd street area oh yes one of the that was an era of vice if i had a time machine i would love to go to the golden era i used to bemoan this because it was right when i was getting old enough to where i could go to new york where i could potentially have gone to new york city and would hear stories of the grindhouse theaters and i was you know all into those kinds of movies I always blame Giuliani for, you know, Giuliani, the, it, that was the big, the the state of mind at the time. Giuliani's ruined Times Square and took out all the, all the, all the vice out of it and made it into Disneyland or Disney World or whatever. But over the years, you know, as I've read more about it, it, the era of it that I thought was great, which was the Grindhouse era, that got killed by VHS. <laughs> mm-hmm. Once VHS came and killed it to where, you know, that wasn't the place to see exploitation movies, then it became just pure, you know, prostitution and, you know, going and go someplace to go get robbed. And it just, it never could have supported itself, you know? So it, it was basically just replaced with something more, you know, profitable. But at the same time, it's not like if Giuliani would have left it alone, you know, we could still go down to Times Square and sit in the CD Times Square theater and watch, uh, uh, you know, movies all day for one price with bums sleeping next to us and an ashtray in the back of the seat ahead of us. So, but man, I would love that, that whole era was it just must have been awesome to be around New York City at that time and be, you know, a teenager or a young person and just go to see all those crappy movies, you know. And I I I can't imagine. I just saw um read a book about that that whole era and it, it was just fascinating and how the you know that Times Square had so many people watching movies in it that the, the people who were in the theaters were basically funding some of these movies. Of course, they were, you know, they were paying like three thousand, giving the guy three thousand dollars, five thousand, six thousand dollars. Here, go make a movie, <laughs> yeah, with lots of boobs in it, and and put it in here. And uh, yeah, I I just I I'm fascinated with that that whole time period and uh, the movies that came out of them. Now I've found. In, in reading that book, 
I would I would see a movie and be like, man, I want to see that movie, and I would just go to YouTube. Yeah. And say, I'll go see. They they got to have a trailer for it on YouTube. Boom, the whole movie would be up there. Nine times out of ten. So you can actually. I'm I'm actually in the process right now. I found this website where uh, you where you can um, sort of archive or um, take any kind of streaming video site out there and set up your own little TV station. But I'm just grabbing drive-in movies mm-hmm. or movies that I would have in my drive-in, throw a few trailers in between, and I'm, I'm in the process of compiling that with, from a lot of movies from, from the 42nd Street time period. And uh, boy, oh boy, <laughs> it, it, it's funny because I used uh, we've been doing the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror and doing movies like Cannibal Holocaust where I'm like, well, here's a movie on the edge. Now that I'm watching these some of these grindhouse movies, <laughs> no, not even close. <laughs> yeah, less so. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things about that uh, about that story that sort of jumped out at me that I never knew was that that whole massage parlor thing being a disguise, maybe for something else. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't. It didn't come right out and say that. Yeah, this is where that started, but it's kind of implied in one of the. Uh, panels in there they're talking about you know basically what a den of prostitution that part of town was and to kind of give it the veneer of some sort of respectability kind of you know massage parlors were basically not quite brothels but they were not just run-of-the-mill massage parlors either you know right and i hadn't i'm assuming this is at least one of the potential starting places for it and I guess I hadn't really thought about it that, you know, wow, that's that's where it started. But that's one of those stigmas that's actually kind of followed them around ever since. I know somebody who's a massage therapist, and she's been, shall we say, uh, asked to provide extra services. Yes, happy uh, ending. Yeah. And, you know, she's been – oddly enough, she's never actually said that she didn't do it. She just said that, you know, that's that's just an assumption that so many people make. But I always found her – omission there a little bit interesting you know well you know that that's the thing. when you get into massage i i know a few massage therapists and there's there's that there's big dispute over what 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 they do you know what is ethical to do as a massage therapist or where it goes into prostitution but there's massage therapists who and i and i would believe i believe them i didn't think they were just uh saying it as as just you know something to to cover up but that we're saying that yeah, you know sometimes that might be and you know therapeutic actually you know technically therapeutic so you don't want to take it you don't want to count it out but you know it's not you know it depends on whether it's part of it's you know it depends on who you're talking to but some people could be like well it's just part of you know a therapeutic thing but other people will be like, well, if it's sort of that's the reason they're there, then that's prostitution. It's it's such a it's such a murky area, mm. murky, sticky, oily area. <laughs> well, yeah, and I wanted to just kind of throw that out there. But I got to tell you, every time I think about like that era of, of uh, Times Square, I I truly don't know why. But what I always think of is. The way that uh, David Masicelli drew Gotham City in Batman Year One, mm. mm-hmm. and 
Wow, a comic I'm actually familiar with. Thank you. <laughs> hey, no problem. Well, I, I knew for I actually a, read that one. Yeah, well, like, I, I knew for a fact a that you did. So, yeah, and it's just – it didn't really feel like I was likely to see that type of just kind of urban seediness in most of the parts of Houston that I was hanging out in. Right. That's how I imagined not all of New York, but like specifically that part of New York. That's what I always kind of thought – at the time that I was reading it, this is where the inspiration for Gotham City, like all of Gotham City being yes. like this, that one small part of New York being that way. Yep, and Daredevil too. Daredevil is usually hanging around in those parts for the for the most part. Yeah. Well, you got anything else on this? No, I think I'm about ready to – I'm interested to see what you picked. Oh, I thought you had one more. Oh, oh! You want me to do both of them? Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, go right ahead. My second, my second one. I'm a cheating. I'm a cheating this time. It's a double header, two one pagers, and they were right next to each other, which I was just like, okay, I have to do both of these, and I'll mush them all into one. And that's on page one thirty six and one thirty eight. The Patriot of Porn and the Sultan of Sleaze, two of my favorite people in the entire world, like. I wouldn't say role models, but they're inspiring. And that is Larry Flint and Al Goldstein. Of course, Larry Flint's famously the, you know, the the proprietor of Hustler magazine. Al Goldstein, not so, you know, as as well known as Larry Flint because he was very New York City. And this is right back into the deuce areas. Al Goldstein was just a New York City smut merchant. Uh, so outspoken and he published this magazine called screw mm-hmm. and whenever i had a, a bunch of friends in in college who were from new york city and they would you know go home to visit home and be like do you want anything from new york city always buy me get me a issue of screw issue of screw i think it was like a dollar 25 it was in it was a newspaper you know oh so horror I don't know if if you've ever um, seen like a copy of Hustler magazine from the 70s. No. But it reveled in tastelessness. And the women were not, I don't want to say of the quality of, they, they were more real women than say Playboy or Penthouse. Definitely no airbrushing, just more overtly sleazy in its presentation with horrible, horrible politically, the most horrible politically incorrect humor ever, you know. I mean, there was a, in, in Hustler Magazine, every month there was a, a monthly comic. It was a one, one pager, you know, one panel comic called uh, Chester the Molester. Mm-hmm. And it was just usually a one panel sight gag of this guy trying to lure little girls into the bushes or, or whatever. And, always featuring his shit stained underwear. So just just horrifying. Well well Screw magazine made Hustler look like Ranger Rick. Wow. It was, it was flat out hardcore and it was mostly ads, you know, for massage parlors and movie houses and and hookers. But in between were were movie reviews and mostly I'll Goldstein was an angry, funny man. And if you crossed him or he perceived that you'd crossed him, watch out. He was going to go nuts. It, it, when he got divorced, 
his poor ex-wife had her head put on so many horrifying porno shots and you know and you would open up the the you would open up the magazine and the first page would be you know a full page editorial of him tell in the most florid words what a horrible horrible bitch his ex-wife was <laughs> or it could be it could be just a restaurant where he got bad service or he didn't like the food or they didn't give him enough ice whatever it was he would go berserk and then he also had a cable tv show in new york city that had full full hardcore porn in it but him doing interviews him in front of a store where, that had done him wrong saying see this place here's its address they're pieces of shit you know love 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 al goldstein he he and larry flint just they had balls on them like i don't agree with everything they did but man those guys knew how to take themselves from you know from a place that was just generally looked down upon by almost everybody and with and brought themselves to the height of it all the while no apologies right one of my favorite scenes in all cinema is from People versus Larry Flint, where he's in the courtroom, slurring his words because he's been shot. And he's in his wheelchair, and he's got a diaper, American flag diaper, in the in the courtroom, and is just looking looking the judge flat in the eye. Go, I have fashioned this American flag into a diaper to represent, you know, the symbolic <laughs> removal of my right and that. I, I love people like that. That's they 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 inject life into things like the court system. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, part of me wants to say that the court system, the legal system, you know, courtroom proceedings are just so fucking boring. Yeah. You need to get a little bit of showmanship in there at least once yeah. in a while. Not every you bring day. Bring Goldstein into court, you get a show, like a TV show. It's like you're going to get some courtroom there, you know? Yeah, you remember, like the trial in um geez, now what's uh, Natural Born Killers? Yes. That kind of just over the top spectacle, you know, like That's that. a trial. Well, like we were talking about uh, it's so funny. The last time we recorded, we were talking about how great it would be to have some nice fist fights in in politics. And what do we get? Like within like what two weeks after we recorded that, boom! Ukrainian politicians beating the crap out of each other. That was awesome. <laughs> it wasn't the the greatest fight in the history of fights, but no. But you know, at least it, it's a good start. Yeah, and damn it, it, it it's a new way to. I don't know. Um, Heighten the tension of our current political discourse, and yet in a in a in a very TV friendly kind of way. Because let's face it, if you're up there making these really esoteric economic arguments, you know, taxation versus versus tax cuts, look, that can be hard for Joe Sixpack to get his mind around. Yeah, but you pimp slap someone, and all of a sudden we're paying attention. <laughs> yeah, because that's a universal language right there, bitch. You know, and yeah, dude, absolutely. Yes, we need more of that. You know, fist fights in the courtrooms. Fist I'd be fights interested. The yeah, I'd be interested if we could get some real fist fights in. in like, I could see, but he's so old. John McCain could probably throw a punch, you know. But most of them, most of them, Democrat, Republican, it's going to be a slap fight. Oh, you know? co oh come on, dude. Look, <laughs> I, I, I'll lay out the battle of the year. Michelle Bachman 
in a cat fight with Elizabeth Warren. Boom. Oh, dear God. Pay-per-view. Pay-per-view. Oh, God. Oh, man. And, oh, and, how and, about this? How about this? Mm-hmm. Um, throw in, make it a tag team, throw in Hillary Clinton and Michelle Malkin. Hey, there's, there's no reason not to do that. Blood. You blood, know? blood, blood. I think Michelle Malkin would, like, rip somebody's head off their shoulders and then parade around the room with it just going like yeah i could see her being a fighter and and i could see hillary chewing someone's leg off so you know, ah man you, I, I think I, we got something to that and I, and we scott and i have been coming up with a conspiracy theory that the powers that be are listening to two true freaks podcast to figure out what to do so and the whole ukrainian thing well that was in the ukraine so i don't know how it got but podcasts are international if they're listening out there, you're sitting on a gold mine, people. Yeah, yeah. If you guys just give us half of one percent of the pay-per-view take on that, we would be very happy. And we'll come up with some more ideas too. Look, I've got no shortage of bullshit. I can sling mm. all day long, all, all day long. Day. <laughs> <sighs> so uh, now, was that both of your stories? Now that that, that we just worked through here, or did you? Yes. Have, okay. Yeah, the only other thing I really have to add is I did get a factoid out of the Larry Flint one that I did not know and that he once served on the USS Enterprise. Really? <laughs> yeah. This I did so, not know either. So, Larry Flint. Well, now in the in Star Trek lore. <laughs> yes, forevermore and I'm you know, maybe it's for the best that Wait, did that happen before Gene died? Before Gene died. Yeah, Gene Roddenberry. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I think, yeah, if he was on, I think the Enterprise was decommissioned decades and decades before Roddenberry died. Okay, then, yeah. I would would imagine it was probably, like, in the 50s with Larry Flint's age that he would have been in the military. Ah, okay, all right. I thought you meant the, sorry, I totally misunderstood where you were going with that then. It was on the aircraft carrier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I know that now, but okay, where were you when I needed you before I made an idiot of myself? I forget it's a, I forgot it was a space shuttle too. Right. Um, all right, well, I guess like the first story that I have to go through here, this is the age of absinthe on uh, page, uh, page 60. And really this is more from the angle that I never really knew a whole lot about absinthe. It's just, it's one of those drinks that I always thought it was the choice of, you know, hipsters everywhere that, you know, it's because of the fact that for whatever reason it's banned. That's what makes it cool. It's, and it, I would almost want to compare it to Cuban cigars that, right. You know, people like them specifically because of the fact that they're contraband. But we're really, when you think about it, Dominican it's a cigar, yeah, like <laughs> Mexican tobacco rolled in tobacco. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you're into cigars, Mexican cigars, Dominican cigars are supposedly the best that money can buy, and they're perfectly legal to own here in the States, but there's something about the contraband of it all that that's what makes Cuban cigars, that's what gives them all of their cachet, and who knows, maybe in the years to come we'll find out about that now, but same type of a thing, though, with with absinthe, and honestly, as best I can tell, this thing's whole claim to fame is the fact that it tastes like shit. But for whatever reason, it was the it was sort of the drink of choice for kind of hipster celebrities in the 19th century, especially. And just over time, it's like people 
I, I would almost want to say that the basically big liquor, big beer, big alcohol pretty much ran the production of absinthe out on a rail. It wasn't that this was necessarily an inferior product. It was more that there are, shall we say, corporate political interests going on here. They Coca-Colaized it. They, they made it into a drink, but they took out the, you know, the cocaine. They took out the wormwood in it. At least in American, you can buy absinthe in America. It doesn't, it's not going to give you wormwood poisoning like real absinthe is supposed to. That's the thing is it's, is it, I've had friends who've done it. I've never had any desire to try absinthe. And supposedly it's a mild hallucinogen, but it's very mild. It's it from people I know who've done real absinthe, they basically sounded like they'd been mildly poisoned. They didn't feel good. It made them very pasty white mm-hmm. and and not very healthy feeling and yeah, there were many people that enjoyed it, but they were eager to try it because it was mysterious, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and as to the hallucinogenic aspect, there's something about, I guess, psychotropics that make anyone who does like truly creative, artistic type of stuff, it just drives their imaginations in, in d- ways and directions that I don't know. I, I'm not trying to argue the merits of drug use here, but at the same time, there there's is merits. There's merits to drug. I mean, drug use is like anything else. It could be it, good stuff comes from it, from it runs a gamut from great from the Beatles, <laughs> you know, from from the, the some of the greatest Beatles songs to overdoses you know and people ruining their whole lives but yeah i mean to an artist having a chemical that you can dump into your brain that makes you see reality in a way that you've never seen it before i mean that's a valuable tool to a lot of artists especially visual and audio artists right (laughs) because it affects that a lot and as someone who's had has done their fair more than their fair share of psychedelics i can say i mean it 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 completely altered my way of thinking and my the way i live my life to an extent (laughs) i was kind of i was kind of weird to begin with (laughs) so and had i not gotten a hold of psychedelics i probably would have followed slightly different life course but it wasn't what made me, it, you know, it it made me question reality, but I wasn't being shaken out of like, you know, my square lifestyle or whatever. When when I took psychedelics, I didn't have my whole um, whole structure stripped away from me or, uh, as much. Right. That often I, it would happen every once in a while. Right, and fair enough. The thing with absinthe that, and and again, maybe I'm connecting things here that ought not be connected but it, it's pretty well known i think that the reason for the ban on hemp production is completely illogical and it's and again it's not driven by ideology so much as a corporate um wheelie you know wheeler dealer types yeah it's it's at this point it's economic at, at some point it was they used ideology to to make it illegal but at this point, there's I, I mean, there's just got to be so few people who are ideologically opposed to marijuana legalization, you know, 
truly ideologically opposed, you know? Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. And I think those same values are what ultimately underline the banning of absinthe. It's not that this is – there may – to be fair, there may have been genuine health concerns going on with that. But, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, it destroys your liver. Yeah. <laughs> I bet I, what I've always just kind of assumed, rightly or wrongly, is that there was – at least some element of people wanting to drive a competitor, a more popular competitor, mm -hmm. out of business. We saw it with hemp, and I can't quite shake the suspicion that, to perhaps a lesser degree, still is something to do with uh, absinthe being absent from the shelves. And um, I just want to get like your take on that. Like, to what degree was this public health? Versus somebody saying, holy shit, this thing is going to put me out of business if I don't get the boys in Washington to take care of me. As, as a drug user, I don't – I see absinthe as being the, – the, the people who seem really interested in absinthe, it's, it's not pleasant enough. It doesn't seem uh, – not having not done it but just knowing what people – it's not an awesome enough experience to – drive a lot of people a lot of people want to do it because some of their artistic idols did it you know and it seems like it seems like a kind of thing you want to do if you want to sit in a french cafe do some absinthe and and you know walk along the same boulevards that picasso did i i can understand that but where i think tobacco and alcohol why they won out is because it's not like we didn't have we banned vices altogether all that we tried with alcohol and that didn't work but why those ones have become the dominant ones is because they can be so easily mass produced and they have people enjoy I, I mean tobacco on more of a practical level and alcohol is just it's socially so many people really I know so many people <laughs> who enjoy alcohol to very you know to various extents mm -hmm. and I think those just became and I think even with marijuana well on the way to being legal I think if marijuana becomes illegal all through 50 states and recreational and stuff I don't think it will beat alcohol and tobacco in sales maybe tobacco because tobacco's you know, there's the the health concerns of tobacco are really getting deep set in society. And, you know, I'm a smoker. I'd like to not be a smoker someday. So but. Um, um, so I think there's more people like that, but I don't I think those two are dominant because they are just they work with they they work with the most human bodies in the way that humans like. <laughs> right. So they became. The, the biggest ones and and I think marijuana is something that lots of people really like and it's just a, it's a done deal now all it, we're hashing through all the legal work and all the and politicians are always a few decades behind what people want but I mean we're, we're, we're at the point now where I think like 90 you know percent of the people really either they use marijuana or they just don't care whether someone does they're not worried about people using it because it has not because the, the the biggest risk with marijuana in the last that we've seen in the last 60 or 80 years has been incarceration you know it hasn't been overdose and people selling you know selling all their stuff to get to get weed so well and that kind of uh, leads into my uh, 
Uh, look, I want to be careful how I how I say this. Look, do I want to see people, you know, just you know, smoking bowls and stuff like everywhere I go? I do. Well, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> but I no. already do, though. <laughs> well, but here's the thing, though. There is. Uh, it's already happening, man. <laughs> Every other car that goes by is somebody's smoked a joint within the last few hours. <laughs> and you know what? Whatever. Okay, because that doesn't yeah. affect me. I don't care. Right, right. All right. What I, what I am kind of disturbed by, you know, putting aside. You know, I guess like the proprieties of uh, of public drug use. All right, for the moment, we, look, we can deal with that in terms of public policy. There is a way to make this right. work. Let's sit down and talk about it. What I don't like is the way that this this country, which is to say America, because you and I are, are Americans. Damn right. What I don't like is the way that we've we've had this completely fucking insane. In fucking sane war on drugs, that that's the official name of it, but that's not really what it's a war on. It's a war on so fucking many other things, and we have to give it a nice, friendly PC label, basically to call it something that the masses can accept. All right, I'm, and I'm not trying to bag on my country because I love my country, but the fact is the way that if what if our objective here is to stop drug use, we have, or let me rephrase that, the drug trade, there are two ways of accomplishing that. Number one, we can firebomb all of the drug-producing countries back to the goddamn Stone Age. You produce this stuff and you export it, it goes an inch outside of your borders, then people, say goodbye to your capital cities. Say goodbye to your, to your firstborn children. That's one way of dealing with this. That's expensive in terms of money and lives. <laughs> okay, well, th I I agree with that. But here's the thing. Are we serious about stopping this problem? That's right, one way right. of doing it. Here's another way of doing it. Legalize this shit. All right? right? You can have like these little government-run drug centers where people can go and they can take as much smack, as much blow, as LSD, fucking whatever they want. The one rule is you stay here until the effects wear off. But up to and including an overdose, you can have as much as you fucking want. Take it all. It's all yours. That, too, will also end the drug trade. The way that we're doing it, though, keeping this criminalization bullshit in place so that we can go after and harass people who, by any other standard, any other subject, are basically law-abiding citizens except on this one point. And targeting, harassing, and imprisoning addicts for being addicts, does that seem right to anybody? You know? Yep. And in, in the meantime, it makes it makes the 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 uh, the black market rich. You know, incredibly rich, which means they become more powerful and better armed, and you know, and with so much money involved in it, then there's obviously a lot of 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 murder and turf wars and yeah, all that. And and it's not like that's something theoretical. There's been you know, little mini experiments in other countries and other places and cities and stuff. It's generally seen that when you, you, you know, decriminalize, decriminalize or legalize, a lot of the problems, a lot of the problems go away. You, you're never going to get rid of all the, all the problems. You're never, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to say never, but, you know, I mean, the, the sticky wicket and all of it is you have a certain percentage of people who have no limiting factor you know who are addictive mm -hmm. and 
you know, a percentage of those are addictive to the point of destruction. But the thing is, no matter what you do, you have a problem with those. Mm-hmm. Even if you got rid of all the illicit drugs and and they would still have alcohol to destroy themselves with. I know a guy here in town who was in bands. He just died at 42 years old. And they said natural causes. I'm, I'd be about 80% sure that it was his liver just giving up the ghost, you know, mm-hmm. from, from drinking and, you know, just drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking. So, you know, I mean, that's that's the the base problem of all of it. But that doesn't get addressed at all when you're putting all your resources into throwing people in jail. And and, you know, I know through my arrest experience that, you know, the the vice cop, I was arrested by vice cops and they were some of the sleaziest, shadiest, sketchiest people I've met in my life. And mm-hmm. I've met some sketchy people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've worked and hung out with <laughs> and been <laughs> <laughs> pretty sketchy myself. And these guys were like, take a bath afterwards and it's you're still not going to feel clean type of, type of deal. And that was because there's, you know, when you, when you have that atmosphere, you get a lot of corruption too. And yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm very, it's, I'm in basically been just to, to deal with modern times. I go into sci-fi mode and say, well, <laughs> humanity's in this point where we got to grow up. <laughs> we're either going to grow up or we're not going to grow up. The world keeps getting smaller through communication. And so we're thrust on top of each other more and more. And we're going to have to figure out how to deal with shit like grownups rather than, you know, just sort of the the way we have been for centuries because we could sort of deal with with situations like this, you know, country to country. Not that they worked, but it almost made sort of sense. Nowadays, uh, it, there's, there, there's no excuse for people. People have too much access to knowledge. I'm just rambling now. I'm drinking energy drink if you can't tell. <laughs> oh, you know, no big deal. Um, no, it's just I, I, I tend to agree with that. And, you know, look, you and I are probably not likely to sit to be able to sit here and solve all of the world's problems, you know, just on a single podcast. And that's fine. But it's just I guess this is one of those things about society that you don't really question a whole lot when you're a kid. Right. But the older you get, you the more you kind of have to start questioning is all of this cost, all of this expense, all of this manpower, and let's face it, waste all of this wasted prison space, is it really worth it just so we can uh, send somebody who's – when you think about how what a danger they are to society, send somebody to prison who's basically about as threatening as a jaywalker to prison? I mean is that right. – is that really what we need to be doing? And – and I and and this is more from a sense like I guess like a practical standpoint of is this the best use of our resources? From a moral standpoint, though, do addicts really belong in prison? Is that really the right place for them, or should they maybe um, 
I don't know, should they maybe be enrolled in some kind of recovery programs or something like that? And I realize that's a separate conversation from full-on legalization. But at least then there's a relevant argument that you can have a, a, over, you know, what is the best the best way to treat these people in a civilized society? At the very least, what I what I would hope we can all agree on is that sending them to maximum security prisons where they can be raped for the rest of their lives and have their, you know, any future job prospects or career opportunities totally fucking destroyed. Just so some just, jackass can get reelected. Well, but then there are only job opportunities or, or more crime, which there's people in prison waiting to be like, hey, I like you. You know, we'll, I'll, I'll set you up when you get out of here and I'll give you some pointers while you're in here about how not to come back, you know. Right. And that's how it works. You're, you you get thrown in the prison system and you're that's. That was one of the, uh, there's been many times that I've been angry at Obama, but one of the one of the biggest times I got angry with him was this guy admitted to to smoking pot and snorting and coke and, and and he's will but he, at the same time he was saying that he was willing to put people in prison for doing that because it is against the law, you know. And I understand that argument that when when I when I got arrested, I was in the cop car, the cops like Blah, blah, blah. This is probably your worst nightmare. And I'm like, this isn't good for me. But at the same time, I also realized that I was breaking the law and that this, this is a possibility. And I, you know, I'm not going to be like, you're wrong to arrest me right now. But at the same time, hey, if Obama had gotten arrested in college, he wouldn't be president of the United States right now. He might have not have been able to graduate college. Are you suggesting he might that not some- have been a lawyer or, a con- you know, a constitutional lawyer? Wait, and, time out, time out. Are you saying that somebody who's gotten a DUI can never be a president? Is that your argument? Uh, I wouldn't say that because I'm I'm wondering about – well, I don't know if we have any presidents who got DUIs. But Rich I w. know we Bush. definitely have had many presidents who could have had DUIs and probably did. George W. DUI. Bush. George W. Bush. That's right. That's right. But at the, sa- at the same point, not that I'm, I'm not a fan of George W. Bush, but – you know, I mean, the fact that I, I mean, I know friends of mine that have gotten DWIs, so I'm not going to be like, ah, this guy can't be president of the United States. It's what did he learn from that DWI, you know, and and like with Obama, it was like, OK, you admitted to smoking pot. What did you learn from it? You know what? It, it You don't do it anymore. But what you know, what is your but in a grown up society, we would have discussed that. And he could have come out and said, well, I decided it was not conducive to college and graduating as a lawyer which is totally makes sense (laughs) Uh, but no instead it's just like nope it's it's illegal you know and he just made another statement recently to this to the same effect of where like and it's all to just you know be like well we got to baby step this and all that it it drives me nuts because I understand their logic to it, but at the same time, people's lives are being devastated and ruined, you know, mm-hmm. and for, for, for something that, you know, I would say 90% of the country agrees is not a big deal that they probably shouldn't even be in jail for in the first place. And those people are going to come out, you know, marked, marked for life. Mm-hmm. So... It, it, it's it's very interesting the disconnect to it. it and at the same time i think almost anybody who's been related to or had close proximity and lived with 
you know, somebody who's ha- has a problem with drugs or alcohol, you know, after a while you start realizing that it's, you know, not as much them. It, it's there's some psychological things at play there. You know, there's some there's whether it's a medical condition or a psychological condition, there's something that the person is having a hard time controlling. It's not a pure free will thing all the time you know it's 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 something that's if if you punish somebody for it that's not going to motivate them to stop them you know you can't put a carrot ahead of an addiction so there's something going on there and if we're grown-ups we'll try to figure out what that is and work on it and i personally think it's give the alcoholics lsd right (laughs) But which is actually has actually been proven to be one of the most effective, um, not cures but treatments for LSD. They were they were doing that in the '60s. They were basically doing AA with LSD treatment. Of course, the LSD treatment wasn't like just here give these guys some LSD. It was with a psychiatrist and with counseling. You know, they were using it as a psychiatric tool. They're having 80% of the people not come back. And that's the like the exact opposite of the recidivism rate of drugs and alcohol is something like 85, 86 percent or something like that. You know, it's it's very hard to get people to to get off drugs and have it take. Right. But well, and you know, look, here's the thing. I mean, look, are those cleanup programs necessarily the magic bullet? They're always going to work, always without question, 100 percent of the time, definitely. Maybe not, but at least it—it's it, still a change. It's still right. something that we haven't attempted yet. What we know for sure is that sending these, um, sending people to these really fucking draconian prison sentences, where all they do is get beaten and gang raped for the rest of their lives, we know. If we know nothing else, we know that does not work. So why don't we try something else that maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. But it's at least something new, and we can at least say, hand on heart, we're making new mistakes now. You know, isn't that worth something? I, I personally think one of the big moments for the public with that was when Robert Downey Jr. came out of jail. Do you remember that? And he was, I can't remember, he was on, it was something like the Today Show. It was like a morning show or something. And they asked him about prison, and his eyes glazed over and he's just like, there are things about, he's like, I just want to say there's things that I just, I'm never going to talk about. And you could see this guy got raped <laughs> and I shouldn't be laughing, but it was, it was, but here's a face of somebody that you recognize as an actor and people like Robert Downey Jr., you know, and they're just like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Now that was for, that wasn't for marijuana. That was for more. You like know, Coke or something. It, Coke and stuff like that, but still, you know. Well, and that, you know what? It's kind of funny that you mentioned Robert Downey Jr. because I'm not completely in favor of of total legalization, right? But he is sort of an interesting case study of here's a guy that was perfectly capable of doing his job, which at the time was – he, he had a guest starring spot or a supporting spot on uh, Ally McBeal. He was totally capable of doing his job, even though he, uh, he had a fondness for cocaine. And, you know, I'm, again, is this something that's normative for everybody? Well, no. But at the very least, you know, this is a guy that he doesn't seem like he's hurting anybody, 
or for that matter, even really himself, he does, does is prison the best place for this guy? And I have to assume that the answer to that is no. It's not. So anyway, I'm, look, I'm not trying to beat this to death, but you know, it's just it's one of those things that I just I don't think we're handling this in the right way anymore. You know, I mean, there was an argument once upon a time that we could at least try criminal punishment just to see if that works, and now that we right. know that it doesn't, we've we've definitely given that a try. <laughs> we've had time to we've definitely had time to figure out if that was going to be if that was going to make the crime rate go down. Right. The other story, I, just to kind of move on, because I know you need to get out of here in just a minute, but uh, the other story that I've got, this is uh, from page 37, Izzy and Mo. And it's basically... Oh. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, an intro. That was one of the, that was one of the, actually the more interesting ones in there, yeah. The sort of the pitch for all of this, the reason I kind of dig this story is you basically got Laurel and Hardy serving as prohibition agents, and... The secret to their success was they really did look like the sort of ne'er-do-wells who probably patronize illegal booze joints. And that's what made them kick so much ass at their jobs because I assure you, if they looked more like Jack Webb, they would never have made it past the front door. Right. But the other kind of interesting thing here is I think it's how quickly the public – would get interested in these sort of lurid, high-profile crime cases, and then how quickly they'd lose interest. Because Izzy Einstein published a tell-all book about his adventures, you know, doing prohibition enforcement and all that stuff. But by the time it finally came out, nobody gave a shit. Nobody cared? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, prohibition, number one, prohibition was over. Number two, there was a depression on. Number three, before the end of the decade, there'd be a fucking world war on. I mean, right. no one really had time or patience to sit around reading some guy's fondness for the good old days. You know, it's one of those things he just – he should have struck while the iron was hot there, I guess. But anyway, it's just – it's one of those just kind of weird, just fucked up enough to be true types of stories that these guys would dress up and drag and just all manner of just ridiculous – ridiculous disguises and and it's it was a thing of the you couldn't get away with that today <laughs> with with our with our media and the you know the, these guys would faces would have been plastered all around and stuff like that but back in those days you know there could there could they i mean they could take pictures and stuff but you just couldn't get it around as much you know these guys could operate as just well these days they'd be on like CNN crossfire or something like yeah. that given like these huge high profile interviews and it just it wouldn't you, you could not do this right. hell I don't think you could do this even 20 years later you right, wouldn't have been right. able to do this even in the 50s so anyway but it was in that nice kind of interesting sweet spot in media history where you could get away with being a sort of famous but yet unknown law enforcement officer and it's just interesting so well yeah it was just like in the con artist episode where we were talking you know you could get you could you could say you were the relative of this president and stuff and nobody would know nobody could google you to find out you know yeah (laughs) yeah so uh that's pretty much what i had to talk about now do you have anything else on any of these stories uh that i chose no i think i'm i'm pretty uh pretty good all right cool so uh 
what are we thinking of uh, next time? Uh, for next time, next time. Hold on, let's flip back to my little list. Yep, here we go. Next time, let's see. Um, there's just going from the top, Big Book of Urban Legends, which we've already done. Big Book of Weirdos. We already, yeah, we already did the Big Book of Death. Yeah, we've already yes. done that one. Um, let's see, Conspiracies we've done. Freaks, we already know that's going to be very last. Uh, <laughs> little Criminals, we've done. Hoaxes. Thugs. Did we ever do Thugs? I don't know if we, I don't think we did Thugs. I think we did the 70s. Yeah, that was a good one. I like that. That was Yeah. Cool. Okay. That was a one that didn't seem like it might be that good and that ended up being really great. Right. Um, we're starting to run low on these things, dude. I mean, we've got, uh, the big book of weirdos, the big book of freaks, thugs, obviously. Uh, there's the big, the big book of martyrs, which between the two of us, we've pretty well decided we're probably not going to, not going to do that one because it's a little too, not even just too religious, not even just too Christian. I think it's a little too Catholic. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, um, and then finally, there's also, uh, almost finally, there's, uh, the big book of bad. And the Big Book of Grimm. And honestly, I don't really give a damn about ever doing the Big Book of Grimm. So, uh, I I guess, wow, shit, we're probably... Let's go weirdos. Weirdos? All right. I'm going to... Hold on just a moment. I'm going to mark that off here on the list. And then... Uh, weirdos. Okay. I can't find something good in the Big Book of Weirdos. <laughs> something wrong with me. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, well, I got it. So, Big Book of Weirdos, we'll do that. That is now scheduled for June the 23rd, 2015. One of the things, though, that I guess I hadn't completely realized yet is that 2015, well, well for sure, 2016 is not going to end before we run out of big books. So, we're going to need to figure something out on that. Or maybe I'll just eliminate this thing altogether. I don't know. I'll figure it out. But... <laughs> Well, we've got time. We've got. Time. We'll figure it out. Yeah. So, um, but in the meantime, though, I, you really got to get going here in just a moment. But before you do, uh, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you? You can find me as always at twotruefreaks.com, where we have roughly thirty zillion podcasts, including the one you're listening to, from horror to Star Trek to Star Wars to comics to everything in between. It, yeah, twotruefreaks.com. Go in and download everything on, on there. Should take you about 15 years. <laughs> Probably will at yeah. this point. All right, cool. All right, well, um, thank you once again for joining me, dude. I, I just, Thanks for having me. Yeah, I love recording with you. So as for me, you guys come back next week because I'm going to begin uh, my retrospective for uh, Smallville Season 3. That's Part 1 of Smallville Season 3. Come back for that. And so uh, for right now, though... Bye, everybody. I will see you next week. We are out.
And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Illogic. Foolish emotions. A constant irritant. Intentional freaks! Two! Belong in a circus. <laughs> right next to the dog-faced boy. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. It's a super prize package worth $9,388. Money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head. Punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! Go away, And now, <laughs> together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. He killed the police officer for Christ's sake! You're goddamn lucky he didn't kill him. And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. So you're looking at me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now come on, hey, let's God, go. She likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! Hello, my name is Robert Willing, and I love comics. But my all-time favorite comics are the alternate universe comics. Now, that's not an obscure comic company that's known only to local comic stores. What I'm talking about are comics that gives us a different spin on characters we know and love, from your Elseworlds at DC to your what-ifs at Marvel. Why am I doing it? Well, there are two reasons. First of all, I love the unlimited possibilities that the multiverse has brought us, and I wanted to share that love with everyone. I will be talking about all sorts of alternate continuities. If it wasn't canon, I'll talk about it. Elseworlds, what-ifs, intercompany continuities is because Let's face it, very few of those count. I'll also be talking about non-canning minis like Superman Birthright, Shazam A New Beginning, Bob Layton's Hercules, and even Heroes Reborn because, let's face it, we're all glad that never stuck. And on a few occasions, I'll even be discussing the Doctor Who Unbound audios. I'll also try and get interviews and Q&As with as many comic creators as I possibly can. Now keep in mind, this does not count full running company lines or eras so no children comics or the ultimate comics. The All-Stars, maybe. Oh, and the second reason, well... Hey, how's it going? Hey, what are you doing in my room? My room? This is mine at... Wait, Sean Ingle? What are you doing here? Sean, I'm... I'm Robert Willingan. Wait, you look like Sean Ingle. Ugh, okay, I get it. You're from a world where I'm Sean Ingle and you're me. Man, you you get visits too? Yeah. You see, folks, my house is set in a unique location of the multiverse where every world intersects, and I get occasional and very random visits from other me's. Tell me about it. 
Once I met a version of me where I was Guy Gardner. Pre or New 52? Neither. It was the collateral damage one. Yeah, I met him. What an absolute jerk. Oh, holy cow. That uh, that guy got into such an ass. So join me this summer as I met first the multiverse and share different iterations of characters you love, as well as deal with other beings. And then, you know, Jacob decided to take away the whole Boldarian thing and make a Boldarian storyline. It was just awful. What the hell was he thinking? I can't even... See you soon, everyone. Elsewhere in the multiverse, look at all your favorite alternate iterations coming soon to a podcast near you. We all remember seeing years ago those futuristic drawings saying what the future is going to be. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing. Gleaming buildings, fast monorails. This is the future. It was all started by a monster. Twice the size of Manhattan. We want you to share with us our latest and greatest dream. Walt Disney World. Better than any other urban environment in America. Two True Freaks proudly presents... We hope that it will be unlike anything else on this earth. Golf courses, campgrounds, stores, hotels... Earning My Ears. A once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for everyone who participates. We're ready to go right now. Earning My Ears, a Walt Disney World-centric podcast, is available monthly at twotruefreaks.com. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing, and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. 
you get to shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy.